0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
2: Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus.
0: Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth and recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I am your host, and I want to thank you for joining us today here on Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you've joined us. We've got another wonderful program for you today, and I know it's going to open your mind, open your heart, open some new ideas for you and deepen your process of recovery or whatever it is that has brought you to this this program here today. I want to thank you also for liking the Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook and thank you for posting on our wall and uh, letting us know what's happening for you and that what's going on here on Spirit of Recovery is blessing you. And I want to thank you also for letting the friends uh, in your world and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your many other communities that you're part of know about us here on Spirit of Recovery. It is wonderful to have the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of recovery and spirituality here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. And um, it's just great to know that what we're doing here is making a difference for you. And thank you so much for letting us know that. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative, people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and um, my guests are always bringing practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live via your computer, via your smart device. You can also go to stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. We've also got wonderful uh, years' worth of archives, so you can listen on demand. Anytime uh, you'd like to hear a program, just go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery, and you can browse through there and find wonderful guests, wonderful talkers, Topics that will bless you and open your life up to new ideas and new inspiration. I want you to know also that if you uh, enjoy what you hear on Spirit of Recovery and also the many other great programs on Unity Online Radio, and if you would like to support this nonprofit radio station financially, you can do that. Just Go to your, use your smartphone and text Unity Radio 272727 from your smartphone and you can make one time or an ongoing financial donation if you would like to do that. I want you to know also that the spirit of recovery is a welcoming place. If you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're the family member or friend of somebody that has the disease of addiction, uh, you're welcome here. It's possible too that as a family member, whether or not your loved one um, or your friend is in a recovery process, you might be in your own recovery process as a family member because family members can get into recovery as well. And uh, for as a family member so maybe you're just curious about the process of recovery whatever brought you here today to listen to Spirit of Recovery just know that you are very very welcome I'm glad you're here glad you're listening and uh, you're welcome to participate in our conversation if you'd like to do that you're welcome to um, email in or phone call in to uh, make a comment or ask a question of my guest on the topic of today Again, my name is Anna Schaus and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and also an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction and almost 35 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And ever since that time, my walk has been an integration of unity principles and recovery principles and that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing, keeps me open to my higher power, and uh, keeps my life expansive and wonderful. And so I am just grateful and delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and to hear what's happening for you on your spirituality and recovery walk. Our topic today is Families Hurt and Families Can Heal, the Power of the Soldier's Heart Military Families Project. My guest today is Kate Dalstedt. She, uh, Masters of Arts in Counseling. She and her husband and her business partner, Edward Tick, developed a model called the Soldier's Heart Model of Healing. And this is a spiritual, holistic, community-based healing approach for veterans, for their families, and also for communities. And so Kate is going to be sharing with us today how it is that war creates trauma wounding, not only for the soldiers themselves that are directly involved um, in the uh, combat theater, but also for their families and also for the communities, and really, you know that includes all of us because we're all a part of this of community in our local area and as a nation um, that uh, sends people off to war and then uh, receives them back. Kate's going to be sharing with us today about that and about what the uh, healing process is uh, for families and for communities. Substance abuse and process addictions are also commonly a part of what happens as part of the trauma um, that happens both with families and with soldiers themselves. Kate is the program director and co-founder of the Soldier's Heart Project, With again, with her husband and partner, Dr. Edward Tick. He wrote a book, War and the Soul, that was published in 2005, and together they created this Soldier's Heart model, which is a very powerful model for healing. She wrote uh, the chapter in that book called Burying the Stone, or in the book, Beyond Forgiveness, Reflections on Atonement. She currently directs the Soldiers' Heart Military Families Project and the Athena's Shield for Women Project, and that's for women who have uh, served in the military. And she connects women from around the country through teleconferencing for support and to share the impact of war on their lives. She's also a Soldiers' Heart program leader, and she leads uh, intensive veteran healing retreats and healing journeys to Vietnam and Greece with Dr. Tick. And she provides consultation, training, supervision, and advanced education to other professionals, to clergy, organizations, communities, and colleges on veterans' emotional and spiritual concerns. She has a master's degree in clinical psychology as well as a postgraduate certification from the Hartford Family Institute. And she's also the daughter of a World War II veteran, and as a child spent many hours asking her father about his Army experience, and she's grateful that even though war broke his heart, it didn't break his spirit. So, Kate Dahlstedt, welcome to Spirit of Recovery.
3: Well, thank you very much, Anna. It's really a pleasure to be here. Yeah,
0: glad you're here. Tell us a little bit about how it is that families of soldiers are affected by war. Oh, my. Well...
3: You know it's not just war, it's military in general mm-hmm. and if you think about it it's um and it impacts families from the very beginning from right from uh enlistment and by that, I mean you know sometimes a young man will decide to enlist and not ask his family or discuss it with his family, and it can come as a surprise and a shock. And sometimes family members have uh, very different feelings about it and uh, are not happy with the decision. So right from the get-go, there can be this anxiety and, um, and conflict can arise. And, um, and then you, you go from there to um, they have to go off to basic training, and so there's that initial separation from family. Now, you know, it's different if someone's living at home with mom and dad versus someone who's uh, married and maybe has a family. But nonetheless, there's this this leave-taking that starts to happen when they they go off to to boot camp. And, of course, family can't be uh, around while they're doing that. And so um, there starts to be this distance uh, that develops and this this sense of um, not knowing when they're going to be deployed or if they're going to be deployed. So there's a lot of anxiety that starts to build um, and this can be really, really tough on, um, you know, on, on young people, especially. Uh, we know that it's not uncommon for, for people to decide to get married shortly before they go off to deploy to, uh, to be in combat or even just to be in a military zone. And, you know, it, it makes perfect sense that they would want to do that. They would want to have, be married. They would want to have that experience because they don't really know if they're coming back or not. Mm-hmm. but the the problem is that they're you know they may be too young they may rush into something <clears throat> with a girlfriend um and it neither one of them are necessarily really prepared for for what's going to happen and for especially for a, a deployment and so <clears throat> you begin to set up these situations that make it really tough and then families um couples often will will Begin to bicker, say before they leave, before they take that those uh, that separation, because sometimes it's easier to leave if you're not, you know, not so happy with the person. It might be harder if you're feeling all those loving feelings, or sometimes the person who's being left behind feels angry. That they're leaving, you know, and they're not sure how they're going to cope. Or the one who's leaving um, is is feeling angry that they're not getting more support, perhaps from families. So I'm only saying this by saying that you know we have to look at the really minute every step of the of the way through the military and how that impacts the families. And then certainly when they're um, when they're deployed, um, that the families go through all kinds of uh, anxieties and worries. And you know now we have. We have cell phones and computers where people can be connected, which we never had in previous wars. but unfortunately, that's not always a good thing because uh, when people are out uh, especially if they're uh, out on a unit out on a base um you know in combat, um, they need to be able to be focused, they need to stay on topic, they need to be strategizing. Uh, Or maybe they just need some downtime, too, on those times when they're they're not being called into duty, but then they get phone calls from home and the washing machine's not working or, you know, there's a problem with the taxes or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And so they have these additional problems that they're dealing with. And for the family members, sometimes that means they're talking to a loved one that they know is in in a war zone, and then they hear missiles being dropped, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and bombs going off. And... And, their, you know, their loved one is there. And, of course, our troops are used to that. They say they, they get used to it. It's hard to imagine. But, they, you know, they hear that kind of thing a lot. But for family members, that's terrifying. And they don't really know if the person that they're talking to is going to survive this time.
0: Mm-hmm. You know?
3: mm-hmm. And then you have people who are staying up, you know, all, all hours uh, of the night watching the 24-hour news just to, to find out if, you know, their loved one is is still okay somewhere. Um, I, I, as you mentioned, I do a support group for family members. And I do a, it's by teleconference, and so people can call in once we, you know, at the, at the assigned time. And um, so people call, women call in from all over the country, and we talk about what's going on. And we have people who've been on that call for you know many many years now, and we've seen them through several deployments with their kids.
4: And, you know, they go
3: through changes. The first deployment, you know, they had all these feelings. Then by the second deployment, they sort of start to have an idea of what to expect, but they're not really sure because they're going to a different place or they have a different job this time. Um, and so um, there's, a, there's just a, a lot of time when, when um, family members don't know what's happening with their loved one, even though we have this contact. For instance, one of the women on my call, had a, um, a son who was serving um, in the Air Force. And she knew that occasionally he was on helicopters. Well, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago this past Christmas, just before Christmas, there was a, uh, a helicopter that went down, and they knew that all the passengers were killed. But they they didn't let the public know. In fact, what they do is they have a shutdown. I, I think they call it a blackout or, or something like that where no communication can go back and forth between military members and their family. Mm-hmm. And so for 72 hours, these families did not know if their loved one was in the helicopter or not, you know. And so mm-hmm. the whole group, of course, we were all waiting patiently until we found out that her son had survived. But, mm-hmm. um, but it's that kind of thing that's going on. And, you know, the rest of the public doesn't really know about it because... Unless people are living on a base where they have some kind of support with other families, they're just out there. And more than 50% of our military is National Guard or Reserves, so they don't have bases. And so they are the checkout girl at your local grocery store or your postal clerk or even, you know, your tax uh, person. They might have a family member that's serving, and we don't know it, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're kind of invisible to us. And so what I've heard from family members is that they actually suffer from some of the things that we that we know that our, uh, our vets do, which is they feel invisible to their culture. People don't even sometimes realize that we're still at war, and then they've got a child or a husband who's serving and risking his life every day, and their next-door neighbor doesn't even know that we're at war. And so they feel this lack of of community support. And then you know they go to um, you know a, a graduation party or something like that, and everybody's having a good time and making a lot of jokes and talking about current culture and what's going on, you know, on TV, the latest whatever and And military families feel like, you know i have a I have a family member in a war zone, and this is serious, and I can't joke around or I can't talk small talk. You know, I just, I can't do it because my mind is elsewhere. My mind and my heart are, are with my loved one. And so they tend to isolate. They tend not to go and be with other people, especially if they have friends who are very, um, shall we say, um, peace advocates, people who, um, don't understand about war, don't, don't believe in war and don't understand why people might go to war. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, uh, they lose friends or they stop, uh, socializing with their friends because they feel like they can't get the kind of support that they need and want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, there, you know, it just, it, it runs the gamut, but, um, you know, it's not uncommon for any of us, uh, when we're under stress and certainly having a loved one in the military and especially in a war zone um it's very anxiety producing and it makes sense that a lot of people would turn to substances right. just to help them sleep at night you know or just to calm their nerves um, and so we do see this a lot and we see it of course again in in uh, young spouses who uh who get tired of sitting home when all their friends are out having a good time and so um you know their their spouse is is gone but they still want to be young and, and do what the other young people are doing, and so they go out and they probably do overdrink. And mm-hmm. um, as I said, you know, even even uh, the statistics show that even more mature women who are uh, are spouses, I should say, uh, who you know, whose husbands maybe have been in the service longer or who are officers, they they still have issues with alcohol and uh, using it as a sedative. In higher numbers than we would see in the general population.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Wow. So, um, what are what happens with you're talking now about the you know that there can be the issues with uh, overuse of substance which can can lead to addiction. Hmm. Or mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other ways that that these situations of the stress and the isolation uh, affect the family members internally? What's their response to this? Oh,
3: well, you know, things like uh, not being able to sleep, of course. Mm-hmm, for sure. That's really big. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that affects everything if you can't sleep well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then they have to get up and, and go to their job the next day when they, you know, have been tossing and turning all night. Or maybe there is some kind of a report from their unit, and so they're on, uh, you know, on the Internet till all hours or, you know, on the 24 hour news cycle trying to see if there's any news. So, um,. I would say sleep is a really big one. Um, depression, not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, because they're living in a, with a lot of fear and sadness a lot of the time because they hear about other people, uh, friends of their, of their um, loved ones who, uh, who are killed, maybe even a best friend, uh, but also um, suicides
0: that are happening. In the
3: families? Well, the suicides that they hear about. When, oh the hero. Um, yeah
0: right right when yeah. the veterans come home you know so yeah, many of them for sure. so
3: so they may have a loved one in a war zone whose best buddy you know got out 2 months ago and has committed suicide
0: mhm
3: mm-hmm. you know and so they're they're dealing with the aftermath of all that as well
0: right Kate, thank you so much for what you're sharing with us. This is really uh, important stuff. It's important whether uh, we ourselves are somehow connected to the military or whether we're in community because we're all, you know, our whole country is affected and we all need to pay attention and mm-hmm. um, participate in this healing process. It's time for our break. Um, we'll be right back stay with us our topic today is families hurt families can heal the power of the soldier's heart military families project and my guest is kate Dahlstadt, ma the founder and director of the military families project and Athena shield we'll be right back stay with us on spirit of recovery
4: Your soul wants five things. Your soul will thank you.
2: Thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus and her guest,
0: Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, our topic today is Families Hurt, Families Can Heal, The Power of the Soldier's Heart Military Families Project. And my guest is Kate Dahlstad, M.A., and she and her husband, Dr. Edward Tick, um, have created a spiritual, holistic, community-based healing approach for veterans, for families, and for communities. And she's sharing with us today how this powerful recovery process does help families heal. She has a master's degree in clinical psychology as well as a postgraduate certification from the Hartford Family Institute and is a published writer. And um, you can learn more about her work and the work of Dr. Tick at soldiersheart.net. And that's just the way it sounds, uh, just the way it's spelled, just the way it sounds. There's no apostrophe, soldiers, S-O-L-D-I-E-R-S, Heart. And you can find out lots about this incredible healing model. Before I get back to my conversation with Kate, I invite you to join me for a moment of of quiet, of meditation, in the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax, to feel that peaceful presence of, of your higher power as you understand it, allowing yourself to relax and to let your heart and your mind open. And share with me this constructive idea. There is within me healing power, and I open to that healing power right now. There is within me healing power, and I open to that healing power right now. And let's take a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in this Serenity Minute. And I trust that that was an opportunity for you to take just a moment to be quiet, to open up to that healing, powerful presence within you. And so now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Kate Dahlstad, and we're talking about Families Hurt, Families Can Heal, the Power of the Soldier's Heart Military Families Project. So Kate, you were sharing with us some really important information before the break about uh, families and how they're affected by um, their loved ones' participation in the military and, and the stresses that that can cause. How did you get involved in this work with families? Ah uh, well, um, I was a
3: psychotherapist uh, just starting out, and my husband, Ed, uh, was also a psychotherapist, and he had been working with veterans for a few years, uh, actually right after the Vietnam War. And he did; he had not had to serve in the war because he had got a high lottery number. But before the lottery, he was anticipating that he might get drafted, and so he had thought about becoming a, you know, a medic if he if he did go in, or he was trying to get. Uh, some affidavits together if you wanted to uh, be a conscientious objector. But then he got a high lottery number, and it just felt so arbitrary to him and unfair that some of his friends and and brothers had to go off to to war and go to Vietnam, and he didn't. And so when the war was over and people started coming back, and he was a, a psychotherapist in a little town, but it was a place where a lot of veterans uh would kind of hide out from the big cities and so he uh started seeing them uh, gradually and began to think i you know something's not quite right uh with just doing conventional psychotherapy as i know it to be you know he so he started doing research and he is a scholar by nature and so he he studied different cultures uh throughout time to find out what did they do did they have rituals did they have some ceremony did they have some you know medical thing, what did they do? How did they help and so he kind of put that all together and took took different elements from each one and um, and said, "Well, maybe this is what we you know we need to be able to give to our our veterans and it 's not about one on one in a therapy room but it 's about um working in community and so uh he was getting really excited about that he wrote he wrote a book. Uh, We wrote a couple books, actually, but the first uh, major one was the one that you mentioned, War and the Soul, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which came out on Veterans Day in 2005. And, you know, when it came out, we thought it would be helpful to veterans and maybe some of their family members, but we really had not anticipated the phone calls and the emails that we started to get. And so uh, it was becoming really difficult for us to maintain our practices. And I actually, I, I worked as a counselor at a college, too, at that time, and so it was hard to to do our regular work and uh, answer all of these phone calls and emails, which we really wanted to do, personally, because each one was just, uh, you know, just broke our hearts, so... um, a friend of ours then took us aside one day and said, "You know, if you created your own nonprofit, then you could just do this work, and this would be your contribution." You know, so uh, that's what we did, and uh, that was ten years ago. This year, and we're very, we're very proud of that. <laughs> and uh, we've been doing uh, intensive retreats so that we could work with a number of people rather than trying to work one-on-one with people over the telephone. So we do uh four-day intensive retreats. As well as we do uh, a journey that we take, a a healing journey to Vietnam uh, for anybody who is interested, but uh, primarily for Vietnam veterans who would like to go back uh, to the places that they served. And that is a marvelous healing experience, I can tell you.
0: Mm -hmm. What is that? Oh,
3: yeah, the rest is history. I mean, it just happened, you know. Uh, Uh
0: Right, right. So, so as you were engaging with the veterans then, and, and Ed was also. The families obviously became part of that.
3: Well, yes. What we found was that a lot of the people who were calling us were the family members. Mm-hmm. And and the other surprising thing, really surprising thing, was that we got calls from ordinary citizens, from people who did, were not necessarily family members of the military, but who had read an article in the newspaper or something like that and said, what can I do to help? How can I, as a community member, how can I help? Because mm-hmm. I think people do recognize that these are our military. These are people that whether we agree with a particular war or agree with war in general. You know, there are military, and our tax dollars support them, and we elect the people who send them. And Mm -hmm. so we're responsible, and we're certainly responsible for them when they come back in ways that, unfortunately, our country uh, has not been real good at. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's... um, one thing I do want to sh- share with you because uh, I forget what it was, something you said in the last segment, but it it made me think about um, what we do when we when we give talks because we also do trainings, and when we we give our talks, I usually ask the uh, audience first. We have anybody who's active duty stands so that we can honor them, and then I have veterans stand so we can honor them, and everybody stays standing, and so then I say, you know, well, are there any family members, any? And I go through the litany of you know spouses or former spouses or parents or grandparents or children or grandchildren, you know we do the whole thing uncles cousins and before you know it, the whole room is standing.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And everybody looks around and we all realize that yes of course we have people in our family who served or me- if not in our immediate family, in our in our uh, extended family or our neighbors or people that we go to church with, we all know somebody who has served, and yet it's not something we. Talk about much as a culture. We don't talk. We talk somewhat about vets and what they need and what they're not getting and that kind of thing, but we don't often talk much about families. And of course, when we think of families, um, we think spouses. And actually, you know, the military doesn't care about you having a family one way or the other. But um, when they do give anything, any kind of support, it is primarily to wives and families. You know, children, wives and children. And so parents don't have much of a presence and um, certainly people like siblings are totally forgotten. You know, you have somebody who's serving, everybody's concerned about your loved one who's serving, but very rarely do they stop to ask, well, what is this like for your sister or, you know, for the brother, for the cousin who's close to this person? So, you know, we are all impacted in ways that we're not talking about as as a culture. And of course, you know, then when somebody's injured and, Let's face it: a lot more people are being injured than they have been percentage-wise than in any any other time in our history. Because our medical uh, advances have been so good that we're keeping people alive who would have died previously. But there are people who are going to need lifelong care, and it's up to the families. You know, I mean, there's the VA, and then there's rehab and those kinds of things. But once once they've gone through those initial processes, it's the family who's going to be dealing with them day in and day out. For the rest of their lives. And again, you know, this means that a spouse might have to give up a job so they can be there full time, and then that puts a family under a lot of economic stress, and that makes it difficult to send children to school and, you know, to college and, you know, all that. So it's just one little thing just filters down so that uh, it has many, many implications for families.
0: Right. When you work with the families, Kate, what are some of the major things they tell you that they need that's missing for them? Well, I
3: think, you know, they do, they do wish that people understood and cared enough to not just ask the, you know, how's your son doing? Oh, that's good, you know, and then let's change the subject. But, you know, what's it like for you? How, you know, how are you sleeping? You know, what, what is your day like? How can I be of help? You know, can I can I ring over a meal? Can I, um, you know, take you out to a movie? Uh, whatever it might be, um, you know. There, so I think I also think that uh, young families could, you know, through churches. I mean, our faith organizations are already little communities. Mm-hmm. So I I think that having um, having military people in congregations is a way to help them, you know, in terms of getting volunteers who would come maybe and mow the lawn or do an oil change or uh, do some child care, you know, and uh, just little ways of taking pressure off of military families during a deployment. And certainly if they have a loved one who comes home who's, who's injured, I mean, that, that can certainly be ongoing. But I have to say that, you know, in the in the in um, the teleconference support group that I do, I've asked this question many times, you know, what's the most frustrating, what hurts you the most, or what do you need the most, you know? And I think, uh, sorry to say it, but a lot of times what they feel is betrayal. And hmm. by that, I mean betrayal by the military because they thought the military was going to take care of their loved one in a, in a way that it didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I have one mom whose son uh, hurt his ankle in a, some kind of training exercise, and when he he went to um, his commander and said he th- thought he needed to go to sick bay, they poo pooed him and made him go back, and said he was just you know being lazy or something. And he he reported it again because like two weeks later it was still really bothersome and, and causing him problems, and again he was kind of treated um, like he was just trying to get out of doing his duty, doing his work. And finally, when it could no longer be ignored, it turned out that he had a very serious condition. They could have left him with, with a medical problem for the rest of his life if it hadn't been taken care of. And this mom, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, is a doctor herself. But, you know, she, she was just livid that the military didn't care enough about the troops that they've spent so much money to train. Uh, and, and and yet, you know, they when they needed the medical care that, that he did, he he couldn't get it. So it's that kind of thing. They feel that the military lets them down and lets their children down or their spouses, you know, not knowing when they're going to come home. Saying they're going to be coming home, then they don't come home, and they get, the date gets changed or the time gets changed. And families want to be there when their when their loved ones come home, but uh or when they leave. But sometimes you know they make they make flights and hotel arrangements, and then it all gets canceled, and they you know then they have the financial burden of that. But um yeah, I would say that there's a lot of um, anger at the military from the military families. Now, that's certainly not. That may be a self-selected group because those are the people that are on my on my call looking for support. Mm-hmm. You know, and I do know that there are military families who um, who don't feel that way, who mm-hmm. are still very much a part of the military. Um, maybe their their loved one is still in active duty, um, and they're proud to be military family. But there but there are many who feel like they um, they could have. Taken better care, and you know, and wanting, wishing that the people around them understood more about what's going on, and that that it's very serious, and the fact that we are at war should be out there, should be something that we're all talking about. Um, but mm-hmm. it gets it gets it just you know relegated to the people who are impacted, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's only you know one percent of the population.
0: Right. So it's like they maybe feel like they're having to carry this whole burden, and. Everybody else is sort of just going about their lives.
3: That's exactly it. They're carrying the burden, just like our veterans carry the burden by doing multiple deployments, so that nobody else has to serve. Hmm. Hmm. So yeah, that, I think family members feel, as I was saying before, they have a lot of the same kinds of feelings and angers and and so on that our that our troops do. Right. And also feeling sometimes like their children are being misused, or their you know their spouses that. Um what, they made you do what? You know, for what? And um, you know, sometimes what goes on in a war zone is uh, making somebody rich.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And um family members don't like it when they know that their their loved one has had to put their lives in, in, in harm's way, uh, for somebody else to make a good deal on something. Mhm.
0: Mhm. What are some of the things that help them to move through this when and, again, obviously there's a lot of outside pressures, just what you're describing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What ha- what helps them to move through it?
3: Well, this is what I will say. What they probably deal with the most um, after deployment or even after military, I have to say that sometimes people are really traumatized in the military without even going overseas, and that can be boot camp or it can be um, what happens uh, in the workstation. Certainly we know military sexual assault mm-hmm. is uh, rampant, and not just for women. It happens to men, too. So those things can happen anywhere. Um, but what, what, what uh, family members often end up dealing with, and they always think they're not going to, is uh, post-traumatic stress, what we mm-hmm. call post-traumatic stress. Now... Um, what we're calling today uh, what the the medical community is calling post traumatic stress disorder is um, what we call shell shock or battle fatigue in other wars and, or in the civil war they called it soldier's heart which is hmm. how we got our name
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, so um, but you know so we don't consider uh what people come home with to be a disorder so we don't use that term disorder. We say maybe post-traumatic stress because that's what people are, are using these days. But we see it more as a wound to the soul, a wound to the spirit because of what, we've, what people have experienced. You know, And this is not just something that happens in the military, of course, but it can happen in any kind of traumatic experience, especially when you're a, a victim. Uh, And what people don't realize is that, you know, our troops are, are, they're being shot at, they're being mortared, Uh, there's clearly an enemy there, there's IEDs and all of that. And so in that sense, they are victimized, they lose their best friends, uh, or certainly, you know, other people that they've served with that they care about. And uh, so, oh, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but... um, they're, they're seeing the, the worst of the worst, and um, they're also pulling the trigger, mm-hmm. and they know that. And so a lot of times they come back, and they don't feel so much like victims as they feel like murderers. And that's a lot for a human being to carry around, even though they were following orders, even though they were being good soldiers and by what they did, and maybe they brought home more of their... of of their fellow troops because of their actions, but they also know that they had to participate in the taking of life. And let's face it, in the kind of war we're we're, uh, engaged in now, a lot of that life is innocent life. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And so they have to carry that home too. And so, you know, that really, um, if if I woke up every morning feeling like I was a murderer and I was never going to be able to change that, I don't know if I would want to go on living. And so, of course, that we see the, the suicide rate at 22 a day.
0: Mm-hmm. These are that people that are already home.
3: People who are home, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, so family members are dealing with, you know, people who are depressed and people who are anxious and people who, you know, try to uh, self-medicate with, with uh, drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. or sometimes with risky behavior. hmm you know, driving fast or uh, skydiving sometimes, but um, you know the risk of just you know getting themselves in, you know, going into inner cities and you know hanging out with people where they could you know some switchblades could come out, that kind of thing. They they sometimes do that. Um, other other symptoms though for family members um, are just that you know withdrawal, emotional withdrawal. Um. Just not being there, you know, what's wrong with dad? He's just not really here. He's not the same dad he used to be. Uh, and so I know that there's a lot of techniques and coping mechanisms out there and, and I, you know, they're all pretty good and they all help with symptom management and, and that's a helpful and useful thing. But our troops are really suffering from something deeper than that. It goes to their heart and their soul. It's not just brain chemistry, you mm-hmm. know. It impacts them, and they, you know, they can't they can't get those memories and those thoughts out of their out of their mind. They can't just go back to being who they were. And this is exceedingly stressful for for family members. I had I had a, a woman who used to call in on a support call, and she would say that her husband could not remember falling in love with her. Mm. He could not remember. Their wedding, or the birth of their children, because he had a, a TB, you know, a traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, uh, but he, he, that he wasn't even ready to admit at that time, and so she knew it, she could see it, um, and so there's this huge disconnect. She's married to this man, she loves him dearly, but he can't connect with even the birth of his children and why he married this woman, you know. And that's really, really hard. So, yes, what we, you know, what women, family members, what I find that they need is just uh, an avenue for for having a voice, for being able to, to talk about how hard it is to talk about what they're dealing with and to, to some extent commiserate. I mean, I think that knowing that other family members are experiencing the same kinds of things Helps them normalize it, helps them feel like, okay, it's not just my husband who's crazy or whatever, um, and it's not just me doing the wrong thing. You know, so there's a lot of support and an opportunity for them to say, oh, okay, and so how did you deal with that? You know, maybe I should try that, or, you know, what worked with you for this? You know, so they, getting advice from each other and support from each other is important, but the bottom line is, there is no magic answer. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, a lot of them will, you know, they just want me to help them get their husband or their their uh son to be who we used to be. And that's not going to happen. So we all have to adjust. The, the, certainly our troops have to adjust to who am I now. I'm not who I used to be. But I don't know who I am. That's what they're struggling with, and family members are going along with that. Really, they're they're having the same struggle. You know, I'm the I'm the mother uh, or I'm the father of a of a veteran. But how, what does that make me? How, what is my my role here now that he's home? Do I you know take him out for a beer? Is that the right thing to do? Do I you know remind him of things he doesn't want to think about? So maybe I ought not do that. You know. Um, Family members don't always know what to do, but the truth is that there is no no magic answer, as I said. And so a lot of what I do with family members is to um, do self-care. It's so important, you know. You can take as much as you can take, then you need to maybe remove yourself. Do whatever, you know, is good for you. Maybe that means taking a walk. Maybe it means a, a bath. Maybe it means getting your nails done. Um meditating, praying, you know, maybe going to, to church, um, you know, if you, if you don't do that on a regular basis. Um, you know, so I do a lot of how are you going to take care of yourself so that you have more to give to the person you love. And on, on, the, on the support calls, you know, we, we share stories from, you know, what's been happening recently to us. But also we think, there's a lot of sharing of resources. You know, I, well I read this article. And that gave me support. Or um, I read about this new program, you know, in Princeton or something. And you know, and I think I'm going to take a course or whatever. But you know, it's it's just uh, important that family members not get lost and not get lost in the shuffle. And so much, as I said, so much of the focus is on the veteran. Um, that sometimes family members uh, lose out. And and that doesn't just mean the primary family, you know, spouses and children and parents, but also, as I said before, the s- siblings and the grandparents and um, uh, extended family, like cousins and aunts and uncles, who are all impacted when someone in their family is deployed or in the military. Mm-hmm.
0: You know obviously, what you're describing sounds so much like the model of recovery for family members when when addiction is present, and somebody is uh-huh. you know that the idea of, of uh self care and connecting with other family members sharing resources you know yeah, getting yeah. that inspiration it's very very I think, similar. I think you're
3: right I think it's very similar to that yep. mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 yeah yeah uh-huh. you, you don't want to be part of the problem, right. You
3: know, and you're not sure if you can be part of the solution, you know. And so some of what is needed is just patience, patience and, um, and being able to be present in an open-hearted way. And when you're trying to juggle a job and kids and, and who knows what else, that's sometimes a challenge. So we really emphasize um, people acknowledging that they only have so much to give. And knowing when they can have to step away so that they can nourish themselves, it 's like trying to run your car without gas or to try to you know run a marathon without any food or drink
0: mm-hmm. do families come to these uh, the weekend workshops or their oh, yes, yes. That the, you do? The
3: retreats we do yes, we always have uh, people who are not veterans there, so uh, a lot of times family members come because they are curious, maybe their their loved one won 't come, but they want to come. And um, so usually we have almost half and half veterans and people who are not veterans. And um, it gives, it gives the, well, we call them the civilians, even though of course we're all civilians, but the civilians have the opportunity to, uh, to talk to vet Maybe they can't talk to their own loved one because he or she just, that won't talk to them because they're, for all, there's lots of kinds of reasons why they wouldn't. And, you know, sometimes they're afraid that the person isn't going to respect them anymore or the person will understand or whatever. But they have this opportunity to talk to other vets, you know, at a very personal level and to see how they're dealing with things. And so that kind of gives them information about their loved one, you know, about what they might be struggling with.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But, um, it's also really good for the veterans because a lot of times, they feel like they can't talk to anybody except other veterans because they're afraid the same, for the same reasons. You know, they won't get it, they'll judge me, they won't understand that war makes you crazy or, you know, you do things in war that you would never do in civilian life in um, and, and those kinds of things. Or just, you know, a fear that people will poo-poo it or dismiss you know, what you've done in some way. And so, the veterans having, um, civilians who are there who not only listen, but we have a little ceremony where we accept responsibility for anything that happened in the war zone. You know, I will share that responsibility with you. We talk about, about people having rocks in their rucksack, you know, and these are the, the, the hard things that are hard to carry, the burdens that they have to lug around with them because of the situations they were in. And so, we offer to help them carry some of those uh those rocks and the rocks would come out in their stories you know and so they tell us their story and then a civilian can say you know now that's that's part of my story too that, you know because i've been here i've witnessed this i'm we call them the sacred witness because it really is it, it really is kind of a sacred arena to to have the opportunity to have veterans share what happens in the war zone for you know in sure. the war zone itself if you think about it it's life and death it's good and evil it's right and wrong that's a, you know a, a spiritual arena if there ever was one
4: mm-hmm. and
3: you know we give the power of god to to human beings in the form of weapons and i don't know if we're capable of handling it right you know it's just it's too mm-hmm. awesome a responsibility and that's why people come home and c- can't cope because they've had that. They've had the power to to take someone else's life, to determine someone else's fate in that way. And that's awesome. I mean, that's mm-hmm. awesome responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so um, their loads are lightened just a little when they can come to a retreat and tell their story and have it heard and understood and appreciated and held with love, even if it's a horrendous, horrendous event. And mm-hmm. so family members can participate in that. In fact, family members come on our trips to Vietnam too, partly because they're curious about where their loved ones served. But sometimes we have people who come because their loved one won't come or can't come. That's usually kids. Usually, their their children, their grown children will come because they want to see where dad served and they want to see they want to meet with other vets and hear the other vets tell their stories. You know, so um, that's actually a very a very healing thing for everybody. But the retreats are too, and and. Um, uh, the witnesses, when we do before and after, you know, little surveys, and the, the witnesses get a lot out of being there.
0: What are some of the things that they say that they got from being well, there? Well, they, they just, first of all, an
3: appreciation for what, what our troops go through, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, for many people, it's um, the, the environment that we set up. You know, we, we do a lot of work on making the, this, the container safe and there's confidentiality and and all those kinds of things. Um, But also, you know, that they begin to see that there's, uh, they see people communicating with one another in in a deep and personal way, which we don't see very often in our culture. And so people, you know, can hold each other and cry with each other and and laugh with each other and, um, and be enraged together, you know, about certain things and um you know there's nothing superficial about it and you know one of the things about our veterans is that uh, that's one thing they don't like is superficiality just like i was saying about families you know they 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 want it real because they've seen life you know they've seen real life and um so they they don't like to sh- to cover things over and and make nice so um i think that's eye opening also for for the witnesses to you know, mm-hmm. sort of be in a place where people are not bullshitting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm
3: sorry, I, mean, I shouldn't have said that.
0: No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. No, it's true. It's really true. It's like it 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 kind of invites everybody into a different level of connection.
3: Right. That's right. And so sometimes you know civilians you know form connections with each other or with one of one or two of the vets. You know that that continues long after the retreat. mm Hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: what we're nearing the end of our time here on on our program kate but leave us with some um words for uh all of us as community members or again as you say almost every one of us one way or the other has literally has family members that um, Mm -hmm. have -hmm. served or do serve Mm -hmm. in the military but also as a broader community what's What should we take away in that? Well, yeah, as a broader
3: community, there are, actually on our website, that uh, soldiersheart.net website, there is a section there under resources of things that ordinary citizens can do uh, Mm -hmm. in their own community, and that might be something like, you know, um, getting their faith-based community to to do something specific for veterans, Uh, certainly making Memorial Day and Veterans Day into sacred times, not times for going shopping in the mall. Um, doing art projects uh, through in the community, either artwork by veterans or artwork about war. Uh, film, film. Lots of there's lots of good films out there. You could do a film festival and with talkbacks by veterans uh, in the community. Um, and as I said, artwork by by veterans too, or about war that also gets people talking and reminding them that we are still at war. Um, but you know, they they also need us to to give them voice. And um, to be able to ex- express in one way or another, and artwork is a good way to do that, what war really is all about so that when we send people there, we know what we're doing. And, um, you know, they've served in our name. And, you know, mm-hmm. we need to give them what they need when they return. It's uh, it, it's our honor-bound duty, really, uh, to do that for them. And mm-hmm. make you know, and, and hold our government accountable so that the VAs can can be real centers of healing for them and that kind of thing.
0: Absolutely. Kate, thank you so much for the work that you and um, your husband, Ed Tick, are doing. And he's going to be my guest next week. So he'll um, share with us some more about uh, what you're doing and and, uh, the wonderful effect that that you're having um so thank you thanks for being my guest and thank you for sharing with us so clearly and so much from your heart and uh sharing with us uh what it means to families to have a military Mm -hmm. uh person and and also what we can do all of us to make a difference thanks for being my guest thank
3: you so much it's an honor really it was a lot of fun thank you
0: Good, and thank you all listeners for being here with us this week. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. God bless.
2: Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org.
1: In the midst of a hurricane, there is a center of stillness that remains intact despite the violent winds raging around it. This fact of Mother Nature points to a similar truth in human nature. Even as I encounter the inevitable storms of life, there remains within me a place of peace. Although I can't always control what happens around me, I can choose to stay centered in an awareness of who I am and how I respond. According to Gardner-Hunting, Peace is an atmosphere of the heart and has nothing to do with environment or circumstance. So when I'm caught up in a whirlwind of chaos and conflict, I turn within for better weather. Peace is always there. Peace can begin with me.
2: To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org.